interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. If you have a Bible, the scripture reading will be from Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. I teach Old Testament, so every chance I get, I need to preach from the Old Testament. It's called job security. Okay? So, Isaiah chapter 52. And this whole weekend, we have been talking about the theme of the kingdom of God in the Bible. And how God has made this world to be the place where he will one day be recognized and acknowledged by human beings from corner to corner, from continent to continent, in every single spot on this earth. So that, as Jesus said, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that really is the goal of the Bible, is to tell us how that comes about. And this morning we're going to be looking at sort of the last step in all of that, the last phase of this growing kingdom of God, and we're going to look at that from these words of Isaiah. We'll begin in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 3. Hear the word of God. For this is what the Lord says, You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Amen. I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to, just for a moment, imagine the last thing you saw that was so beautiful that it took your breath away. You you were speechless. It was just so magnificent. You just didn't even know what to say. Now, some of you may be thinking of a sunset. You may be thinking of a painting or even a piece of music. Or um, maybe you're thinking of a person. Someone that was so beautiful it just took your breath away. Now, I think we've thought about many different things here, but I can tell you one thing. I would be willing to say that very few of us in here, when I ask you to think about that, immediately began to think of someone talking about Jesus. Is that fair to say? 
I mean, when was the last time you, you just absolutely were speechless at the beauty of someone talking about the Savior? We've just read a passage where Isaiah says, how beautiful are those who announce good news, who proclaim gospel, that message about Jesus. And he was saying that it took his breath away. So why is it that we hear about people talking about Jesus and yawn? Maybe Isaiah understood something we don't quite have in the front of our minds. Maybe he had a perspective on life that that we just don't quite have yet. And maybe if we look at his words and see what was on his heart that led him to say, how beautiful, then perhaps we can find the same kind of vision that he had. Now, verse 7 is a very famous verse. It's, it's a verse that you've heard every Christmas when you go to hear Handel's Messiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. It's a great little piece in there. And, but we seldom think about the verses that come before and after. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look and see that verse 7 is sandwiched between two other sections, on the front side and on the back side. And then we'll come back to verse 7 to see why it is that Isaiah said... How beautiful. So let's take a look at the top section. At the top, at the beginning here, Isaiah is going to present something that isn't very pleasant. He's going to tell us an ugly truth about our world. Do you remember what he says? Look with me at verse 5. He says, And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a family where my parents told me, if you can't say something good, don't say anything. And I think that's pretty good advice to tell children, even adults, because we all just sort of tend to complain way too much about things. And, you know, you need to sort of back up and say, you know, what's, what's good about this situation? But do you know that that attitude... Don't say anything if you can't say something good. Um, that attitude can go too far. That perspective can be applied just too much to the point that we lose sight of something that's true about life in this world. It's ugly. Now, Isaiah is talking about a time when the people of God, when the people of Israel had actually been conquered by other nations and taken away from their homelands. They had been killed by the thousands. They had been enslaved. They had been treated horribly again and again in Egypt, he says, and then the Assyrians. And now he's talking about the fact that the Babylonians are going to do this, too. And he looks at this and he realizes this is an ugly world we live in. A terrible place. Now, sometimes you and I, living in this country at this day, uh, we have a hard time grasping what Isaiah is saying here because we have this thick insulation around us, don't we? That sort of protects us from most of the ugly things in this world. Um, when we first moved to Florida, one of the things that a lot of people do is they have swimming pools in their backyard. Okay, So I can remember how... My worst problem in life after moving to Florida was the fact that leaves kept getting in my swimming pool. 
I mean, you know, you clean them out one evening, you get up the next morning, and there are leaves in the swimming pool again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that was the nightmare of my life for so many years. The worst thing that ever happened to me was leaves in the swimming pool. And you know something, by comparison with the problems that most people in this world face, many of us in this room would have to admit that what we face is leaves in the swimming pool, spilling champagne on our $300 ties. The Mercedes won't quite run like it used to. Uh, We have problems, it's true, and some of us have very serious problems. I don't want to belittle those at all. But by comparison, we can realize that we are insulated from the problems that most most people have in this world. (laughs) I remember going to a friend's house one time, and I'm sort of a newsaholic, and if I haven't watched the news in a few days, I go nuts. And so I went to this friend's house, and there was the remote, there was the TV, time for the news. I'm grabbing the remote, and I said, do you mind if I watch the news? And he grabbed it out of my hand. He said, no, we don't watch the news in our house. I said, what? Yeah, we don't watch the news in our house. Well, why not? Too much reality. That was his answer. Too much reality. So we watched Friends instead. (laughs) I don't know what that was exactly. But uh, it wasn't the news. And you know what he was saying, don't you? That it seems that every time you turn on the news, all you get is just bad things and bad things and worse things and worse things. It's as if that's all that's going on. Well, one of the reasons why news is compounds and compounds and compounds reports of bad things is because there are lots of bad things going on in the world. I mean, do you realize that during the time we've been sitting in this room, just this amount of time, How many thousands of children in this world have been abused? And just as we've been sitting in this room, how many thousands of women have suffered violence at the hands of others? Just imagine that as we sit here safely and quietly and comfortably, what kind of world we really live in. And if that were not bad enough, Our situation is much like Isaiah's. That is not just problems in the world out there, but even those who claim to follow the Lord are having troubles. Now, we don't see that much in our country, but the fact is that those who keep records of such things tell us that there are more martyrs today for the Christian faith than there have ever been in the history of the world. That more Christians are persecuted and are suffering and are dying for their faith than ever before. We just don't see it. And so we really are in a world like Isaiah is describing here. So what do we do about such things? I mean, how do you live when you have a world like that? I guess you don't watch the news, some of us. But what people do out there in the world around us, what they tend to do is to act as if this is just the way life is supposed to be. Get used to it. In fact, they even celebrate it. Do you remember the old cartoon movie, The Lion King? Do you remember that? And there was this theme song that Elton John sang at the beginning. It was very popular for a while. The Circle of Life. Do you remember that? And that song is all about how Little teeny tiny bugs are eaten by a little bit bigger bugs and then those bugs are eaten by animals and those little animals are eaten by bigger animals and they're ripped to pieces by even larger animals and human beings get in there ripping animals apart and then animals rip apart human beings and they all go back to the ground and the little tiny bugs eat that. The great circle of life. 
And they celebrate this as if it's something absolutely magnificent. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I turn on the animal planet and see some aggressive animal ripping to pieces another kind little Bambi, and they say, look how beautiful this is. There's nothing beautiful about this. This is the result of the fall into sin. This is a horrific reality that we face, that we must manage and that we must work with. But it is not something to be celebrated as if that were the way things are supposed to be. But it's what the world must do. Because it has no solution. It has no hope of things ever being different from that. It even comes to the point that academicians, respected academicians, in fact, in your state up here, Social psychologist just recently wrote a book in which he made a faux pas. It wasn't a very popular thing to say, but he believed it. And that was that the violence that men commit against women sexually is just natural. Just part of the evolutionary process. He got in trouble. I'm glad for that. But nevertheless, he said it. Even the intellectuals of this world are trying to accommodate their idea of what is good to this fallen, miserable, ugly place. Now, if you can realize that the world in which we live, despite its beauty, despite the wonderful things we do see from time to time, despite that way you'll react when that first spring morning comes and the snow thaws and you're able to go out in shorts again and you feel the new life. I lived in New England for a while, so I know what that's like. Despite those things, the fact is this world is not a really nice place. And if you can begin to see that, then you'll begin to yearn for more. You'll begin to realize that you are worth more than that. You're worth more than what this world can give you. That you were not made to settle for the great circle of life. You were made with much more value than that. And your heart will begin to yearn for something better. As Isaiah says here, it's not nature. It is because people blaspheme constantly that the world is this way. So there's the way Isaiah begins this thought. And it leads him to the wondrous, exhilarating thought that when somebody brings me good news, the gospel, it's a beautiful thing. And if you believe that the world around you has that kind of beauty, it's no wonder you yawn when you hear about Jesus. But after Isaiah talks about how ugly the world is, on the backside of verse 7, he changes the way he looks at things. He gives another perspective. And this time, not on the world in which he lived in that day, not the world of pain and suffering that all of us endure, but rather a vision, a vision of the future and of what the world will one day become. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. 
He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. What a different vision of the world. Because he's looking forward to something. Looking forward to the day when things will be fixed. When things will be as they're supposed to be. When that which is called natural but is really unnatural will be changed back into that which is natural the way it was ordered in the beginning. A beautiful and wonderful thing. We call it in Christianity the new heavens and the new earth. Now, fact is, is that when people hear words like these in the past, they had what seems to us today some of the most bizarre understandings of verses like these. I mean, it's, it will be strange to you to realize this, but it used to be that when people would hear things like the Lord will lay bare his holy arm and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God, that people, even Christian people, believed that these kinds of verses were talking about human armies, national armies that would go around enforcing the will of God on other people. Wasn't that nice? If you don't believe me, just remember that old hymn, that battle hymn of the Republic. Remember that one? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And does anybody know what that was originally assigned to, what they were talking about? They were talking about the Union armies attacking the Confederacy. Now, don't misunderstand me, I'm from the South, I'm no Confederate. But at the same time, I'll tell you something else, the Union Army was not the coming of the glory of the Lord. <laughs> but that's the way people thought, because they thought that human power could accomplish such a thing as this. And alongside of the warfare were things like medicine, medicine will do it. If we just have the technology and the science to bring us to utopia. We can do it. We can bring us there. That was the great hope of the modern period, was that science could actually take us to this new world, a paradise brought about again by human effort. And of course, the great Marxist experiment of social, political maneuvering and management, that that can bring us to utopia. Or the great American experiment, that democracy can bring us to utopia. The reality is, as we look at all of these options, as they've been tried and tried and tried again, most of us, there are some diehards, but most of us realize that there's no hope in such things. Oh, we love scientists. We love you. We love medicine. We love good politicians. They're important. They're valuable. And we should adore them for what they do for us. But the reality is they will never bring the salvation of the Lord to the ends of the earth. It will not happen. And so as the world around us has seen this time and again, and they've begun to realize that the, all these efforts we've made for so long are failing, what happens to them? It's what's happening over on this university campus right now. Cynicism. You give up. There is no longer a dream. There's no longer a vision of what the world may become one day. You just give up. And at most, at best, you just, you just live for yourself and try to make some money and join the right country club. You know the old bumper sticker that used to say, he wins who dies with the most toys? 
That's the attitude we have now in our country. To one degree or another, it's the attitude most of us have because we've given up on the dream. Now, what's sad about this is as we Christians live in a world that's becoming more and more cynical and more and more depressed and less and less optimistic about the future, it's, it's seeped into us too. So that what we do is we take what has been promised to us in Jesus and we reduce it down to something that's a little more manageable, a little more believable, something that fits better in a desperately cynical world. How do we do that? Well, if you were to ask most Christian people, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have salvation? They wouldn't put it quite this way, but this is what they basically believe. They think that when a person comes to Christ, that person is forgiven of sins. And as a result of that, a big burden is lifted off their shoulders and their souls begin to sparkle with happiness. Now, I'm all into happiness. I like to be, I'd like to be happier than I am. So I'm not against happiness, but the soul begins to sparkle with a little bit of happiness. And so you live your life in Jesus, and I'm happy in Jesus. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before kind of theology. And your soul sparkles, and then you die. You sprout wings on this little soul, and you fly off into heaven, and you sing in choirs and play harps forever as a disembodied spirit. And that is why you believe in Jesus. Now, that's a very manageable idea of what salvation is, I'll tell you. It's a very small one that we can still believe in this cynical world, but it's not the picture that the Bible gives us. Let me tell you something. You want to be a little happier? Pay a therapist $150. You can be happier. It only takes a few sessions. But if you want the great salvation extending to the ends of the earth. And if you want to be a part of that, you need Jesus. I had a student who called me up one day. He had gone to see uh, the Jodie Foster rendition of The King and I. Do you remember that? The old King and I? I liked it better. I like Jodie Foster, but Yul Brynner sort of has me in, his palm, in the palm of his hand. Uh, it was called Anna and the King. Do you remember that movie? Great, great movie. It was, it was fun. Um, but he called me up, and I hadn't seen it yet, and he said, hey, Rich, you've got to go see Anna and the King. I said, why? He said, well, there's this great scene in it where the Christian gospel comes through so clearly. I said, wow, that's unusual. I didn't expect it to be a Christian movie. what did they do? So he described it to me. <laughs> and many of you will remember, if you saw this movie, it's one of the more dramatic scenes in that movie where the two young lovers, do you remember that from the old one? Hello, young lovers, wherever you are, those people. Okay, the two young lovers are who, um, who love each other and the girl has been taken off into the harem of the great king and that sort of thing. They uh, have been caught and they're about to be executed. Now, they're sitting there with a man, a large man with a gigantic sword waving it in front of their faces, but they're sitting there in lotus position, without blinking an eye, at peace with the world, in some kind of Buddhist nirvanic experience. Now, if that weren't enough, as the scene continues, the executioner actually takes off the head of the man, and as horrible as this sounds, the blood splatters on the face of the girl. And she is in such peace, she doesn't even flinch. 
And my student said, isn't that a great picture of salvation in Christ? And I said to him, how long have you been my student? (laughs) That you would think a Buddhist nirvanic experience is what salvation is in Christ. That all of life is suffering, so get used to it. How could you possibly imagine that's what Jesus came to bring? But it's the way most people think about Christianity, that that's the most Jesus gives anybody, is just peace of mind as they survive this horrible existence. But let me tell you something about the Christian gospel, the Christian view of the future. It is this. Not that we'll be able to survive with peace of mind through injustices and horrors like that. The Christian gospel is that one day this world will no longer have rulers who do those kinds of things to people. One day, justice will rule over this world. One day, righteousness will rule over this world. And the people of God will no longer suffer at the hands of others. That is the Christian view. That is the Christian hope. And for that hope, you can live and you can die. Don't give up on the dream. It's what your faith is all about. That one day salvation will come to the ends of the earth. As incredible as it sounds, believe it. So is there any wonder then that in verse 7 Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. I can remember as a child, about 10 years old, I grew up, as I told you, in a Baptist church and. We used to have revivals back in those days. I don't think you do that anymore, do you? When was the last time you had a revival in this church? I know you've been praying for one for a long time, but we used to force revivals <laughs> because you'd go to church every single night and they'd just be jammed with people. They didn't have anything better to do, you know, back in those days. And well, I can remember one particularly dramatic preacher uh, preaching on this verse, how beautiful are the feet and Even at 10 years old, I thought I was going to be some kind of full-time Christian worker or some sort, and probably a preacher of some sort. And (laughs) I remember um, thinking to myself, I'd never be able to be a preacher. Never. Because you have to understand, by the time I was 10 years old, I had the ugliest feet in the universe. Uh, I mean, my toes are almost as long as my fingers. It's it's nasty stuff here. And no, I won't show you. Uh, If you give me the right amount of money, I might, but I won't show you by voluntarily. But the reality was I was I was desperate. I was really beside myself thinking I can't be a Christian preacher because I have ugly feet. Well, I hope you know that's not what this verse is saying. Okay, it's actually saying how beautiful it is when people come, when people approach you, when they walk towards you or when they run, when they run having good news. Because the picture here, as you see even in verse 8, is that which was very common in the ancient world, where you would have a city that would be walled in, but then on the higher mountains surrounding the hill that the city was set on, you would place your watchman. And the watchman would be, from that vantage point, be able to look over the horizon and see when armies were coming or when friends were coming, when enemies were coming. And when they saw these things, they would run to the other side of the hill and they would begin to shout. And they would shout what was coming, who was coming and what to do. And then the message was passed on down to the city. And of course, if an enemy was coming, they shout, everybody get in the city, close the gates, get ready, here they come. 
But every once in a while, a watchman would be able to proclaim good news. Open the gates. Get ready for the parade. It's time for the celebration. I have good news. I have good tidings. I proclaim peace. I proclaim salvation. And what is it that Isaiah says these watchmen see? As they look over the horizon, at a time when the people of God were suffering tremendously and they were afraid of the power of all their enemies, Isaiah says the watchman has looked over the horizon and he's seen something and he's turned and he's run to us and he started shouting this good news. What's the good news in verse 7? Do you see it there? Your God reigns. Your God reigns, not theirs. Your God reigns. I mean, let's face it. When you watch the news or you look at the world around you and you see what's going on, sometimes it's hard to believe that Jesus really is the king. I mean, it looks like somebody else is in charge of this thing called life. I mean, let's just admit that that's the case. But let's also admit we've been to the top of the mountain and we've looked over the horizon. And we've seen something, the truth that our God reigns over the world. And how have we seen that? We've seen it because of a man who was born about 2,000 years ago, a son of a king, King David of Israel. And this man, this Jesus, lived an absolutely perfect life. Then he died on a cross to pay for the sins of those who followed him. And then he was resurrected from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he took the throne next to his father in heaven, the throne of David. And from that point, he reigns over all the earth until all of his enemies are put under his feet and he'll return and make the new world and we will reign with him. We have seen that. We know it to be true. And so we turn and we shout back to the city, good news, salvation, peace, your God reigns. What could be more beautiful than that? What could be more lovely or breathtaking than the reality that we have actually seen in advance that our God is coming forth in victory and that what was promised will be ours? You see, Isaiah looked with open eyes at the way life is now. And he saw just how terrible it is and how it's not the kind of thing you should love and cherish and hold on to or even celebrate. But he looked to the future and he remembered what God had promised. A kingdom where God's will in heaven is done throughout the earth. And then he remembered watchmen. Watchmen who have seen the King coming. And that's you. And that's me. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, We confess to you that many times 
the glitter of this world captures us. And we love this world more than we ever should. Help us to see again that this world has so little to offer. And renew our vision away from the mere sparkling soul to a new heavens and a new earth. And give us, Lord, the ability to see just how beautiful it is when we hear about you. We love you, Lord, and we give ourselves over to you. And we thank you for this, your holy word. Amen.